0: Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Gnome Podcast. This week, in celebration of the upcoming audio release of the final pair of audiobooks in the Elder Empire series, we're taking a bit of a detour to bring you a chapter of of Killers and Kings. Pre-orders are now live for both on Audible.com, and they'll be released at last on July 7th. If you haven't followed Calder or Shara on their journeys up until now, and you have a mighty need for adventure, magic, and adorable tentacled horrors that bellow at the top of their lungs, you might want to check out the prior books in the series on Audible and Amazon, so that you can join us for the finale. Now pull up your mask or lash yourself to the mast. We're pretty sure you can withstand this audio excerpt with your sanity intact.
1: Chapter 6 2,000 years ago The Mistress of the Mists had inherited her title in the same way that humans inherited anything, by killing her predecessor. As their clan reckoned matters, that meant she was more deadly than their previous leader, and thereby more suited to rule. Such a system would typically lead to squabbling and infighting, the death of any organization. Above all, the Amharani needed to balance themselves so they'd created another system. Each one of their order had to swear absolute obedience to their leader, enforced by the power of Bastion's veil. Vale. Any order from the mistress was law, and the subordinates were powerless to resist. There were only two exceptions. The mistress could not order her servants to their inevitable death, and she could not stop them from seeking her life. Therefore, The masters and mistresses before her had to learn to exercise their power only sparingly. If they abused their abilities by issuing too many commands, they would foster only resentment, and they could never stand against all the attempted assassinations. She had to balance efficiency with the satisfaction of the killers she was training. Which was as it should be. She thought of herself as an agent of balance, so it was only appropriate that a force should exist to balance her. She stood on a cliff overlooking the sea, staring through Bastion's veil. To her, the wall of cloud was clear as air. Someone watching might not see her at all, her gray robes blending into the veil. But she saw most clearly when she looked into the mist. From the images the veil delivered to her, She divined the future. War was on its way. One of the great elders was moving against its siblings. A shepherd knelt behind her, dressed in ceremonial black. Every member of her order wore the same color except her. The delegation from Mothogor has arrived, mistress, the man said, his head bowed. Lead the delegate to me, she said another step of balance. This island was far enough from any land that none of the elders dared claim it for their own. If one tried to seize it, that would undoubtedly be seen as an act of aggression, inviting war. It was for that reason that her ancestor, Bastian, had set up his veil. His was the greatest protection against elders in this world, so far as she knew and it was built to repel any attack short of the direct will of a great elder. Only here could humans have neutral ground, meeting on equal footing with elders. Anywhere else, their overlords could tear apart human minds and bodies as easily as breathing. So it was that she ordered Orthagor's representative to her, rather than going to visit him. It was an illustration. Here, Humans were not slaves to the elders. Rather, they were potential business partners. She couldn't offend Gore, but she could start her negotiations with him on the correct note. The shepherd returned a few minutes later, guiding a man in a cloak more appropriate to a tempest. A wet hissing came from within the hood, like a man sucking air through his teeth. The Honorable Delegate of the Great Horde Father Mistress, her shepherd intoned. And may I present our leader and representative, the Mistress of the Mists. The shepherd bowed his way out, but neither the delegate nor the mistress bowed. They watched each other, Bastion's veil looming behind her like a castle wall. After a handful of seconds, the delegate lowered his hood. His face looked as though it had been ravaged by some disease. Boils and bubbles covered his skin, his eyes were swollen practically shut, and the remnants of his hair clung stubbornly to his scalp. His mouth was twice as wide as a human's should be, and on either side of his neck, layers of skin formed gills that flapped pathetically in the open air. Hence the hissing, she supposed. She felt not a quiver at the sight of his hideous face. She'd seen worse done to men by the power of the elders.
2: I represent the will of Orthagor,
1: the Horde Father, he said, his voice sounding as though his throat had been racked by the same disease as his face. He
2: orders the Um Amharani to act on his behalf at the upcoming battle against the vile worms.
1: He spat to one side at the mention of Kathanakar's forces. We would be happy to negotiate terms with the Horde Father, she said, careful to emphasize the word negotiate. What has he to offer us? The delegate made a burbling sound that she was certain could never come from a human.
2: Offer you? I'd heard talk of the blasphemies born on this island. But this surpasses my imagination by far. One does not negotiate with the raging fire, nor with the father of life. It is an honor for you to serve him. And he will honor you as he honors all of his servants, once the world is his.
1: We prefer immediate payment, the mistress said. This was always the first step of negotiating with elders hearing about how great and mighty they were. We will accept artifacts usable by men, invested weapons, tame chimera, or slaves. Once freed from elder control, former slaves often became skilled and motivated workers. Some of them showed enough aptitude to be inducted into the Amharani themselves. The delegate slashed a hand through the air, and she noticed the webs between his fingers.
2: The horde father does not show any more mercy to gnats than to worms. You will be crushed beneath his heel.
1: If he has not authorized you to offer payment, we can wait for you to return. As I understand the situation, your master is the one who wishes to act immediately. We have an abundance of time. The warped man stomped closer, snarling angrily.
2: Our army will scour this island clean. I will sip your blood from the hollowed skull of your
1: mate. Once again, balance needed to be established. With a thought, the mistress of the mists stretched out her mind to her soul bound vessel. It hardly took an effort. The power of her vessel was all around her. The mist billowed out, swallowing them both. She could feel the veil pressing down, exuding peace and balance, suppressing elder influence. The delegate shrieked, and she heard him flailing blindly. Soundlessly, she pulled one of the bronze knives from the sheath at her back and crept up behind him. The tip rested under his chin for several seconds before he finally noticed, freezing in place. If you return with payment, The friendship of my island can be yours, she said into his mutilated ear. This close, he smelled like rotting fish. If you return with an army, you will find my hospitality can quickly turn to hostility. Some representatives were cowed by this display of force. Some ignored it, more afraid of their elders than of her. Still others were impressed, even amused as though they'd come across an exotic species. Callarak's last emissary had reacted that way, exposing his gold-capped teeth in a broad grin when she held a knife to his throat. He'd clapped his jeweled fingers together, regarding her from behind a steel blindfold that seemed nailed onto his face. Very instructional, he'd said, his voice amused. I think I'll hire you after all. Since that time, Calerac had been her best client. But there was another category of delegate, those so wrapped up in pride that they couldn't take a simple threat. Othagore's fishman was one such. He blathered and blustered even more after her threat, shouting about the wrath of his master even as a pair of shepherds escorted him back to his ship. After a few minutes, The mistress spoke into the misty air. We cannot do business with men like that. To her left, in the wet grass, a mass of worms swarmed together until they'd formed into the shape of a human roughly two feet high. It is not only men who have such a nature. Othegor himself is prideful and vain. He trades vision of that which is distant for that which is close. The mistress was never sure whether she was dealing with the representative of Kathanakar or with the Lord himself, but she remained respectful either way. You may consider us your asset for the coming conflict. Our agents have boarded Orthogor's vessel even now, and they will be yours to command on the battlefield. The pile of worms whispered a laugh. Humans are not fit to be the masters of this world, but even the most vile and insignificant of creatures have their uses. A few of you may survive as my servants. May I expect payment delivered at dawn tomorrow? The mistress asked. Another laugh drifted up as the worms dispersed, squirming down into the soil. That usually meant, yes, that payment was on its way. But if it didn't arrive, well her troops were already in place to aid orthagor against his enemy that was the beauty of balance if you started in the middle you could move in any direction 4 years ago lucan broke away from the memories of the mistress of the mists he took a moment to reorient himself to the present then scribbled notes of the partial vision he'd just witnessed In the year since the Emperor's death, he had snatched every opportunity to steal clues about the Guild's long history. He had started off looking at more recent records, hoping for insight into the current High Council's actions, but the more he dug, the more he became convinced that the true reasons were deeply buried. Across his table, lit by the steady light of an orange quick lamp, were the fragments of history he had cobbled together to form a single picture. One, a fragment of a page from the Journal of Esther Six. It wasn't the original, and therefore held no useful intent. But it questioned in passing why the consultants had never appointed another guild head. Based on Lucan's knowledge of his guild, that was a strange thing to wonder. The Council of Architects had been elected when the last soul bound to Bastion's veil vale had died. As the vessel was a glass box, there had been no way to appoint a successor. The box could only be used for containment, and therefore it was not a tool that anyone could bind to themselves and inherit, as the heads of the Imperial Guard and Black Watch did. The ancient architects had considered it impossible. And Lucan himself considered it, at best, ludicrously unlikely. Any potential consultant guildhead would have had to live with the source of Bastion's veil vale every minute, maybe for years, making it a part of who they were. That would be putting the Grey Island's greatest defenses in the hands of one person. And even so, the process might not work but if Esther Six thought it was possible for them to appoint a new guild head, then it was possible. The journal fragment was on loan from the miner's archives, but he'd found the next item himself. The ancient bone fish hook had been used by an Amharani in the time before the Council of Architects, and Lucan had been fortunate to find it buried in one of the labyrinthine tunnels beneath the Grey Island. It hadn't been used in 2,000 years, so it wasn't as powerful in intent as objects of similar age that remained in use. But the significance of an object settled over time. It was still a valuable find. It carried many fragmented visions, mostly surrounding the act of fishing. But he managed to catch glimpses of deals carried out on the island. Deals with elders, it was common knowledge that the Amharani had existed before the empire, but he had always imagined them working for the primitive tribes of humanity. Though it made logical sense, he had never pictured his ancient predecessors taking contracts from Akhmagut or Nakothi. The thought sickened him. But after all, the emperor himself had borrowed Nakothi's power. Clearly, Sometimes distasteful elder deals were justified, and the consultants had eventually given up those ways in service to the Empire. More records and invested tools filled in the picture. An old history book from deep in the dusty corners of the archives referred to the Mistress of the Mists by name, which provided context for some of the visions in his own gardener's shears. Heavily redacted minutes from old architect council meetings, which Lukon had only been allowed to retrieve with Carrion's permission, gave further clues, until he knew a few points for certain. First, the mistress or master of the mists was the consultant guildhead, and if appointed, could supersede the entire council of architects. He was positive that the architects knew this, or at least the high council did, but they kept the knowledge to themselves. It was easy to imagine why. The resurrection of the Guildhead would mean them giving up power. However, that was too easy to assume. There was also the reality that, as far as he could tell, the architects genuinely didn't believe they could confer the power onto anyone. Only Esther Six had mentioned it as a possibility, which was the other thread he was following. Everyone in the world knew about the regents, the companions of the emperor who slept until they were needed to defend humanity. They had shown up five or six times since the elder war that he could confirm, always to stop a rising great elder or to put down a calamitous rebellion. They were called regents because they were considered representatives of the emperor himself. When they spoke, it was as though he spoke through them. Nonetheless, they rarely governed, usually solving a problem and returning to sleep. Somewhere. That was his current question. The fragment of Esther Six's journal read, Wish the architects would appoint a new head of their guild. If I have to sleep under the mist, someone to guard my back. The gaps in the fragment tormented him, but there was a clear link between the regents and the Mistress of the Mists. He didn't know if this had anything to do with the High Council pushing Sherat to kill the Emperor sooner than planned, but it was the most intriguing secret he'd uncovered. He was going to keep pulling this thread until the whole thing unraveled. No matter how long it took.
0: You've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. This excerpt from Of Killers and Kings was written by Will White and narrated by Emily Wu Zeller. The next episode will be available when I manage to guess the winning lotto numbers. Last time it took me about two weeks, but this time I think I can do it in one. Until that time, remember, sharks.